the Koi gig part. Who is this serving and what is the end goal would be kind of nice to know. I feel like we haven't had quite enough Irish bias this year, so I am quite happy to see this. Subscribe to the feed in the OTB Sports app now. Football on Off The Ball With Sky All the football you love in one place Across Sky Sports, BT Sport and Premier Sports Now then, very happy to say that Stephen Reid is with us on the line Republic of Ireland International amongst other things and always a welcome visitor It's been a while, Stephen, you're very welcome Good to talk to you again And you, has been a while How's things? Yeah, very well Watching your career with interest You've made an interesting uh, decision once again. So um, to briefly catch people up, retired now since 2015 and you've had coaching stints at Reading and Palace and West Brom and then most recently Nottingham Forest where you went in as Chris Hewton's assistant and after his departure, Steve Cooper said, well, listen, we'll keep this fella around and (laughs) Premier League promotion won over the summer. And so you would think from the outside at that stage well this is great for Stephen Reid he'll be part of a Premier League team and you made the decision in uh, July it was announced certainly I'm sure the decision was brewing but you made the decision to step away and go into more specialist coaching down the route of performance and mentality and psychology and you can explain all more but that is a hell of a move. I mean, I, I would have thought when promotion beckons and the Premier League beckons, that's a tempting situation to hang on for. Oh, it was, do you know what? The promotion made it such a such a tough decision. It's a decision I made, I pretty much knew most of last season, actually. Uh, even, even when Chris was in charge, I sort of made that decision that I was going to see the rest of my contract out and, and leave this summer. But obviously, after the promotion, and, and especially the the day at Wembley when we got promotion, it's easy to get swept up and, and carried away with that. But you know, after a few difficult days of, of mulling it all over, whether to go again for another season, um, I made a decision that I've wanted to do for for quite some time. I know we've sort of skirted around it a little bit. Some of the discussions when I've come on the show before about the challenges, in particular when I was playing with all the injuries that I had and in the coaching side of it, living away from home. So we've kind of, you've sort of followed it in a sense for for quite a number of years. And I think I've even mentioned before about being interested in going into the other side of it, into into the psychology side of it, into the, I'm on the next level uh, of my counselling qualifications. I've just completed a, a mentorship training program with the LMA. So all of these little bits are the bits that have played a big part in my life, a big part in my career and helping me to to achieve what I have because to put it to put it bluntly, it's always been a struggle ever since I became a professional footballer, just dealing with that, dealing with the playing side, dealing with the injuries and then dealing with the difficulty of what coaching can bring as well in terms of living away from home, you know, the pressures of that. So I've gone with my my heart and my head with this one and just, just exploring this new route for the foreseeable future, which I'm really enjoying. As you say, in our conversations, we've skirted around what I always felt was um, an area that was very significant in your life. And at times you would mention that you'd worked with somebody like Steve Peters or I think the last time we spoke, you did mention pursuing uh, 
counselling qualifications. That all spoke of somebody who was interested in the world beyond just uh, football. So give us a sense in your playing days then of what you experienced, of how difficult it was for you and why and how often and how early in your career. You seem to say they're pretty much from day one, that switch into professionalism brought with it a, a certain pressure that you didn't handle perfectly or easily at all times? Yeah, for me, it started probably in the transition between leaving school, going, thro- not thrown straight in, but going straight into into the professional football environment. You literally finish your exams at school. A few weeks later, you, you begin your YTS program, which it was then, which is a scholarship now. We were based at the the training ground at Millwall, where everyone was together. So you're talking 16-year-olds all the way through to your senior pros. Everyone was under the same roof in the same building. And I found it a struggle to get used to that environment for a while. The, you know, the banter, just getting used to how players used to speak to each other back then, uh, getting used to the environment of being around senior pros where every single game matters, win or lose, the appearances, it might be the win bonuses, players have got responsibilities of their own. So it all all of a sudden just became really serious. That's when a lot of the pressure comes. That's when a lot of the stresses and the anxieties come. And that's why ultimately the percentage of players that progress, I think a big part of that is actually dealing with the mental side, dealing with the, you know, the constant scrutiny, the constant judgment every day. And that, that just carries on. I, I found ways to deal with it. I needed support all the way along my route, but all the way along as well, it would sort of crank up a notch to make my debut for Millwall. I felt it took me a long while to establish myself. Then it was breaking into Republic squad. Took me a long time to establish myself. Then it was the move to the Premier League. That's when I really struggled, started to struggle with that. I've spoken a little bit about it, that imposter syndrome, thinking, am I good enough to be here? You know, I'm in a dressing room all of a sudden with you know, Andy Cole, Dwight York, Brad Friedel, all the big names. And I'm just constantly questioning myself. I'm, I'm, am I going to get found out? Can I do it at this level? Um, all of these. And that was my sort of go-to was always a negative spin on it. It was always a, a self-belief issue, dealing with all the pressures, all the anxieties, living away from home for the first time. Mm. So all of these things are the challenges that so many face and the more people I speak to as well, you, you find it in all kind, all walks of life, all elite level sort of jobs or careers you find similar traits that run through it. It's not just football, not just sport. Yeah, it can be anything. It, 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 can, it can be anything. I did a talk um, in at the NHS in a little leadership group, and exactly the same pressures, stresses, anxieties, worries. You know, taking that home with you after you finish work. All of these things is, I think we're we're starting to see and and hear and learn more and more about it. If we take Anxiety, which you mentioned there. So there is a spectrum of anxiety and many of us will feel what I would, without any medical qualification, but what I would call an appropriate level of apprehension about certain events. It is a human Mm -hmm. experience. We get nervous. We carry on. We push through it. And the spectrum goes right the way all the, the way through to panic attacks and people finding it pretty much impossible to function. 
Mm-hmm. So give us a sense of your experience of that spectrum and, and you know, there's day to day and there's probably your more extreme days as well, I would think. Yeah, I mean, it varies. Even coming on the show now, even coming on to do the Zoom call now, there, there is a level which is which is quite normal. You get that level of anxiety when you're preparing to, you know, to speak or to perform or whatever it is. You still get that level of feeling and I sort of always go that it always sort of hits me there that feeling in the stomach and then the the butterflies and the nerves you know don't you know don't make a mistake don't say anything that will make yourself look foolish all these little voices that enter your head and and it's the same for so many people in it I think for me when it got um out of hand it would manifest itself in panic attacks which I've had uh mentioned before in a couple of the bit pieces that I've done that I've had a couple on the on the pitch in a Premier League game but you sort of become such a master of masking it and controlling it and going again and all of the things that was drilled into us coming through as players to just pick yourself up and put your chest out and go again I think football is in particular the environments that I've been in and know about it is that mask that comes on and you you almost flick a switch. I think despite everything that's going on around you, how you're feeling, I've always managed to be able to flick a switch into, into work mode, whether that be a Premier League game, international game. When I became a coach, I used to sometimes, when I was struggling a little bit, it might be before I was delivering a meeting to the to the group, to the whole squad, yeah. get that feeling again, building and building. But I think sometimes it's the ones that can perform under pressure and flick that switch and deliver. They're the one, they're the ones that at times can find a way of, of pushing through it. But it got to the stage with with myself that it was just becoming too big a cost in my daily sort of anxiety levels of not really enjoying it, of constantly putting pressure on myself to to perform as a player or deliver the the best session as a coach you know everything has which it doesn't but in my mind everything had to be perfect and everything I did so that daily thinking and feeling of that it was just becoming too too big a cost and on top of that as you as you know four out the last seven years I've been living away from home as well and that's never easy living away from home six nights a week yeah there's so much in that answer sometimes just go off on one there no 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 like let's not brush by having a panic attack as a premier league player on a pitch how does that happen i mean how can you even continue it was i remember my first experiences of it were i was really young actually my first probably my first experience would have been secondary school age. So I, I did speak about it, not in great detail. I did from quite a young age, um, get some counseling, uh, not around sort of the, the panic kind of disorder and the anxiety, but just around sort of some of the other thoughts and feelings that was going on. So kind of by the time I would have the experience in a Premier League game, which I did, which wasn't often. It was a handful of times, sure. but I kind of developed coping mechanisms to dealing with it, which was, you know, not to fight it, to kind of let it 
sort of let it breathe, let it burn out itself. Because the more I used to fight against it, the worse it would get, you know, the more you panic. So I'd been there before. I knew it wasn't going to kill me. So by the time you were a Premier League footballer experiencing it on the pitch, you weren't ambushed by it. It was almost a degree of, oh, here's my old friend. You had a, you had a set of tools almost to handle it. Absolutely. Absolutely yeah. that. You know, when I was younger, I didn't know what the hell was going on. Sure. Well, that's what well, people, yeah. I mean, the, <laughs> a bit like the name on the tin, uh, the panic sets in and people don't quite know what's going on initially anyway. It does. And you feel, I did certainly, I felt like I was the only one on the planet experiencing those feelings. So I've never really did... Never, never really spoke about that in detail until actually I spoke about it in the summer when I left left Forest. You know, and the yeah. more I spoke to people, the more people that have reached out that have experienced similar issues in whatever line of work they're in is is incredible. But yes. yeah, it 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 almost became like you just exactly like described there the old friend that you know rears his ugly head, yeah. but one I've dealt with many times before. You know just look after my breathing patterns, accept that it's here for a period of time and that it will pass. Um, obviously, don't pass me the ball in that period because I'm not sure what I'm going to do with it. But as as stupid as it sounds, it might be that period in a game where I would just you know position, position myself on the pitch for a couple of minutes involved in the game, but knowing that I just had to get through that little period of time and you know, I'd be back, yeah. so to speak, back in the room. And like what, pray Damien Duff doesn't get the ball and run at you in those uh, couple of minutes as well. I mean, it's surreal. It would be easier without the ball because you could just clatter into someone and take a yellow card. It was when we had the ball, that's when I I did find an issue. But I'd also I'd often find as well, it was, it could be a night game. I think sometimes with the build-up of a night game, mm. you know, the minute you wake up, you always knew it was a match day. The day of a game when I woke up, I knew it was a match day with the way my body was reacting. Yeah. So you got that for the whole day, all afternoon, thinking about your performance, getting ready for the game, you know, thinking about the week you've just had, thinking of everything. So by the time the evening kickoff comes, under the floodlights, wherever it might be, I think that used to have an effect on me as well. I always used to prefer the early kickoffs, almost up, have your pre-match meal, head to the stadium, games under underway and done rather than the whole I've always been like that the whole, even in a similar way to when I took the Nottingham Forest team after Chris Hewton uh left I I was caretaker manager for yeah one game and it's almost like the ideal not the ideal in terms of what happened and uh the situation but I was asked to take it I said yes and basically got cracking the next morning and took the game at the weekend, if you said to me, right, you're going to um, manage a game in two or three months, not not yet, but you've got a whole length of time to build up to it. Yes. That's when things kind of, I've learned a little bit about myself. Yeah. That's when things sometimes I can just overthink, overanalyze, put a load of scenarios in my head. Whereas sometimes when it's just, right, get cracking, off you go. Hmm. I find that a little bit easier. Yes. You mentioned there even in your teenage years, there was therapy. So by all means, let's walk back from a line. If I'm in danger of going over a line you don't want to cross, were you just uh, 
predisposed to uh, having these thinking patterns and these issues or was there something in your childhood or, or away from the pitch in your younger years that you were also trying to cope with? No, that really, that's sometimes the bit where I kind of try and search out because I'm on the counselling courses and, and been through it myself. You, you're sort of always thinking about, you know, moments in my life or, you know, traumatic events, but had such a great childhood, you know, right. great loving family, loads of support, older brother that, you know, him and his mates used to, you know, kick me all over the place when we used to play football. But, you know, genuinely, no, I can't think of anything behind it, okay. albeit just being a bit of a warrior, a bit yes, of an anxious but no, 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 no point of trauma where you can say, well, this was where I no, took a turn left. definitely not. Yeah. I think sometimes which can be the case, it runs in the family a little bit. Sure. You know, we're probably all, you know, me, my brother, you know, my mum perhaps, uh, got a worrying tendency. Mm. You know, so maybe there's, you know, a genetic um, element to it that sort of runs runs through the family. But, yeah, so from quite an early age would be a bit of a warrior. Yeah. You know, have sort of levels of anxiety, which just then... I think when you've got that as well, and then you kind of enter the world of elite sport or high pressure environments or challenging jobs or anything like that, mm. if you're already pre predisposed to that anyway, I think that just magnifies the issue. It just pours petrol on the issue. And without support, it's yeah. going to be really challenging to, to, to deal with those things going forward and to, and to control, you know, well, to control your emotions. Yes. Well, I think that's right in front of younger listeners. And God, we are getting old and we have to start saying that. But 20 years ago, you burst on the scene for Ireland. And, you know, I can still vividly remember that uh, shot. You whizzed over the bar and you, there was, a, you know, the physicality and a brilliant shot and brilliant technique. And you look like somebody just born to do it, you know, and, and some of your goals you scored for Blackburn were, were goal of the season contenders and you absolutely looked like you belonged and you looked like you were thriving so you know it, it, it's interesting people might not not everyone might remember that but that was uh, the sense certainly from afar but you, you what you say there is so true so somebody with your natural tendencies to have both the fortune and the misfortune to turn a professional sports person you are thrust into like the ultimate weird scenario of a dressing room of professional sport where mm. you're being assessed constantly by teammates, by coaches, by fans, by media. You are fighting for a contract often with, you know, people you're friendly with or not friendly with. Or are we friends or we're just teammates? And, you yeah. know, all of this stuff. Um, if, if, <laughs> if your mind was maybe predisposed to, to looking for things to worry about, it did not have to go very far in life as a footballer. Absolutely. It's a daily, it's a daily judgment. It's a daily um, battle against your teammates, perhaps against your friend that potentially is in the same position as you. It's a battle to get in the team on Saturday. It's a battle to win your next contract. And then as you get older and you get your family commitments and got you know a, kid, want a child or two and yeah. married or whatever it might be well, then it's very then that contract's very serious yeah it is especially as you can imagine my sort of last six seven years where it was almost year to year contracts as well with yeah. how my knees were at that time with the numerous surgeries 
you know, with the contracts becoming almost pay as you play, not a standard, not a standard playing contract. I had to kind of earn, <laughs> I had to earn my money by getting on the pitch with a knee that was probably 50% for four or five years. So every at the end of every season, for probably the last five of my playing career, it was a discussion. It was, I'm, I'm ready to call it a day. But then it was just one more, one more, one more. And it's been a little bit the same in the in the coaching journey. Yeah. Some of the, the courses that I'm doing now, the courses that I've wanted to explore for some time, but then it's phone rings, one more again, one more. But I had to make the decision this time to, right, that I want to do this for me now. Mm. I'm fed up of, you know, perhaps doing it for the expectation of others because everyone thinks that you're living the dream in football and um, you get these feelings of guilt. Perhaps when you say, when you tell someone that you're struggling because everyone, the perception is that everyone in football is living the dream, is earning a fortune, is got the house got the car it's got the holidays yeah so that's why I think some players and some performers elite high earners I think find a real difficulty in sharing that because of because a lot of the a lot of the backlash now you see it so many times in on social media if somebody comes out and says they're struggling or you know high paid footballer comes out and has an issue you, you sometimes see, not that I do it often, but there's been one or two that I've kind of read the threads underneath. And I know a lot of that's, you know, could be anything, but the it's, it's harsh. It's a harsh world out there when, you know, you're feeling that way for, for those that feel that they can't share that. So would you have classed yourself as depressed in your playing career or is that not, does that not feel like the right, I was now. I was never. I was never diagnosed, but I've I've read it a lot. I've read it so many times. Obviously, a lot of the books that I've read around mental health and the issues and depression. Oh my god! It would be if you went through the bullet points of what depression is. It's, um, it's there's no doubt that I was at many moments of that. You know, when you're in tears and you're on your own in a hotel room or you you're crying with some of your family that you've got to call it a day because you can't continue. I think some of the lows that I've suffered, yeah, it without a diagnosis, I'd have to say without, without question, there was a lot of moments in, in my career that I would have been going through, would have been going through uh, depression for sure. Incredibly high functioning though, at the same time. Yeah. And again, that's, that's another a couple of interesting pieces that I've I've read lately. It, it effectively, it's high functioning anxiety or and depression. Mm. Somehow find a way of of getting through it, of flicking the switch, of just performing under pressure. But in my opinion, that's got a shelf life. Yeah, Stephen, you must have uh, been very drained doing that. Yeah, well, as you know, I, I stepped away from Crystal Palace in 2018 I think that would have been and obviously at the time it was a big shock big surprise but I think that was just the culmination of of 20 22 odd years of of doing exactly what we just said there Mm. of putting the mask on of performing under pressure of just getting on with it of just 
manning up, if you like, and getting through it until it got to a point of really a burnout. So when I left Crystal Palace, I've, I've described that as as a major burnout that I had, where I just physically and mentally could not go, couldn't go back in for pre-season. The thought of going back in, you know, June the 25th or whatever it was, yeah. and going all the way through again till the end of May, I just couldn't do it. I remember there was a moment when I was flying back from holiday with a, with a family that summer and whatever I was watching, it was just a moment of, I just can't go back in. Mm. I just cannot put myself through it for another season. I need to do a little bit of work on myself. I need to, need to get well, really. Yeah. You know, from a mental point of view, I need to just be present with the family. You know, I was fed up of, driving home or seeing the family, wanting to be the person that I wanted to be, mm. but actually stepping foot in the door and being the being the opposite, you know, being irritable, not present, snappy with the kids, short with the wife, um, distancing myself from family and friends and kind of just just drifting along really. Yeah. And I was and and I was fed up of it. I was effectively fed up of it, but obviously, and then the last few years with COVID and everything that's gone on, there was a period where everything was a little bit uncertain. Chris rung me out of the blue about going with him to Nottingham Forest. Um, I was happily kind of just doing the Scotland role, which effectively was pretty much part time. Um, and I just went for it. A little bit of the size of the club, a little bit of fear. I think I got a little bit scared after I left Crystal Palace. It was great for a few months, but it got to a period, as some find, where actually, where's the purpose? What am I doing myself? What can I do? I yeah. think I got a little bit frightened of maybe looking into that. So the phone rings and then then you're back in. You're back on the treadmill and you're back at it for another was it another two, three years? Two years, yeah, 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 it was, yeah. Football on Off The Ball. With Sky, all the football you love in one place. Across Sky Sports, BT Sport and Premier Sports. Would your teammates or would your colleagues as you moved into management have been aware that you had your struggles? No, no, no chance. I think sort of a lot of people that you, that sort of reached out to me after I shared it and you know, a lot of the people that I've worked with would be totally shocked. Would they? Because even, I was just thinking last night, we had Kenny Cunningham and Kev Kilban on the show. Mm. Ireland, would, would they have known? Um, I'd, I'd caught up with Kenny a little bit, actually. Um, a couple of rounds of golf, you know, just as the um, lockdowns were easy and you could play a little bit of golf. So caught up with Kenny a couple of times. Kev, Used to share with Kev a little bit, not to the extent of, you know, what I sort of shared in the summer, but used to used to be in touch quite regularly with Kev and share a little bit with him. And um, during your playing days as well, Stephen, or no. only after? No, okay, <laughs> no. okay. No, that's the yeah. It's still still similar to that. I think the football world. I think a lot of the I've sort of shared a lot more since I finished playing. Hmm. When I was playing, I. I shared very little about what I'd been through. I think right at the back end, I had no problem with sharing that. I used to see Steve Peters and yeah. a few of the struggles that I'd had, but no, it was 
kept well under well under wraps for fear of again maybe not getting that contract maybe not getting in the team especially when i was on a pay you know pay as you play contract yes i effectively had to get in the team so had to do do all that i could to to get in the team but yeah there was very that that fear it's not even a nice thought to say it out loud but the fear I presume is well I'll be looked at as somehow weak and they might wonder well Mm -hmm. if the pressure comes on at a key point in the season is his mental health going to hold up and can we rely on him all these you know awful things to say you know terrible way to put it but I suspect in that dog eat dog world you can through that Millwall school of hard knocks you get up you get on with it um, you're not going to yeah. volunteer that potential quote-unquote weakness. Exactly. And that's probably why I felt a little bit freer when I went into coaching yeah. to share some of these sort of stories and my experiences. I think that was one of my strengths as a coach was to talk to the players and have my one-on-ones with the players and share a little bit of of my vulnerabilities. I think that used to bring me closer to the players. I think... They felt that I was coming from a good place, but anyone looking at me and sort of listening to me, sort of sharing some of this stuff and what I shared in the summer, I think some wouldn't believe it because I was probably a typical, almost solid pro. Yeah. You know, reliable pro, good around the dressing room, you know, tough, played for an hour with a broken leg. That's the type of yeah. you know, warrior that we want on the pitch in the trenches with us. So that was probably the sort of external view of what I was all about. Mm. But actually, I think I think by doing this has added another, you know, another dimension of strength, to be honest, because oh, the absolutely. feedback, because players that are reaching out, had a player that actually rang me the other day uh, concerned about another player and just little bits and pieces like that where you can make a real difference and and help if you can. I find that really powerful rather than, you know, at times, not always, but working with players perhaps that sometimes you feel not on the same page. I think I quite enjoyed doing this where you're almost having a direct impact on someone's life in a positive way, Mm. just helping them on their journey. We're having sessions or meeting up and just catching up because they want to get better. They want to help themselves on, on and off the pitch, by the way, for me, sometimes the psychology around it is becomes too much about performance, too much about, right, let's get you sorted and get you ready for the weekend or get you back in the team. Sometimes it's just about how you're getting on, how you're getting on with being a footballer, being a, you know, rugby player, being an athlete, being a CEO in a high-performance, high high-pressure environment. How are you getting on? Because a lot of my issue was, I remember I used to drive home from Nottingham uh, when we get our day off and I'd be driving home thinking, right, leave the football at home, uh, leave the football at the training ground, drive home, be a good, again, be a good dad, be a good husband, be a good son, be a good friend. But a lot of the time I'd get home and that go all out, the, I'd just go out the window. Mm. You know, maybe want to get on the sofa and be left alone. I didn't fancy kind of, doing a lot of the family stuff or catching up with friends, stop being present in their moments. Then I drive back up the next day to Nottingham thinking, what the hell are you doing? It sounds to me with zero qualifications in the sphere 
that you're putting so much effort and energy into the front that by the time you got into your safe space, your house, you were just almost too exhausted to give anything of yourself to your family and it was just leave me be on the couch. Yeah. And, and again, I speak to a lot of coaches and that's a similar thing of not being able to disconnect from it, disconnect from football, disconnect from work. You know, I'd be at home. to, For, for argument's sake, if this was could well be a day off if I was coaching, mm. I'd be thinking already now, right, we got this call, then I'd probably get my pad out, start planning the session for tomorrow, which is which is fine, but then drive myself, you know, around the twist with dimensions, with timings, with what the numbers in in the session, mm. what's the manager going to think of it? What the player's going to think of it? Is it going to be good enough? It needs to be perfect. <laughs> and and completely disconnect from from the family. Then I'd be off probably driving back up there in two or three hours. And that's my day at home gone. But you know, it's interesting, All as you would well know, all of our behaviours, whether they're constructive or destructive or a mixture of the two, they have a payoff as well. That's why we keep doing them. And the payoff for you was you were putting on a good session. That streak of perfectionism right the way through your career, I suspect, took a big toll clearly on your mental health. But the payoff was you were a better player as a result of it. You were a fitter player and probably a more prepared coach as a result of it. Yeah, that, that that's you're absolutely spot on because beneath all of it and the thing that actually which I use now and I, I sort of and I deliver is that a lot of the things that have been almost my worst enemy at times are actually my biggest have been my biggest friend. Yeah. You know, the imposter syndrome that drives actually drives me on to prove that I am good enough to be there. You know, it drives me on to train properly. It drives me on to make sure physically I'm going to get back from those six knee operations. The perfectionism, you, you can almost, you can, I actually sort of sometimes think you'd be, it'd be difficult not to have an element of that to get to the top. Yeah. You know, in terms of, right, everything. And Steve Clark was one of the best, my first coach. I used to set up when we was at Reading, he used to march out, come and move my cones, literally a couple of inches all of them, mm. just move them around a little bit. Mm. So maybe I picked up a little bit. Whereas with Scotland, I used to just tell him to stay out of the way. Mm. Just let me set up, just stay out of the way. But I think that made me a really good coach, was making sure that I was organised, making sure that everything was set up right, that I was out there early setting up, that I could stand in the session and just take my time and, and make sure it was all organised properly. Um, same with the meetings. I, you know, watched the meeting through you know, twenty odd times just to make sure that I knew every clip that's coming and everything that was going to be coming up on screen. That I was fully prepared. So, yeah. Do you know what? A lot of it actually helped me to get to the get to the top as a player and 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 actually as a coach as well. So, when you stepped away from Nottingham Forest, then over the summer one to pursue this this uh, type of work with various sports people and beyond it sounds like and and to to go into that sphere of coaching but two to to get well again and to feel good again and to work on yourself I think was the phrase you used what mm. what work have you done on yourself how does that all manifest because like you know you, you mentioned therapy or or, or counseling in your teenage years and Steve Peters in your playing career and mm-hmm. so it, it sounds like you you have reached out at times and tried to do work on yourselves again to use that phrase 
Yeah, I, th- I think there's been a few different sort of started actually a course in May okay. uh, with the LMA. So that's their mentorship training program. So it allows you to, <clears throat> excuse me, become a, a mentor um, in particular with the LMA, but obviously outside of that. Straight away, I enrolled on the next level of the counselling course, which you simply can't do if you're in coaching because of the time that it takes. I've, you know, restarted therapy as well myself, not to a regular level that I needed when I when I left Crystal Palace, but just checking in sort of now and again now, maybe once a month, just to talk through a few bits and pieces, just yeah. go over some stuff, just to work on myself again a little bit more. I need to get back on the exercise a bit more. Mm. You know, I'm finding that all of these things that, I know that are really good for me, but I think typically and loads of people are the same. Sometimes I can be lazy with it. You know, the exercise, I, you know, we'll have a beer now and again. You know, I know that if I have too many, that can be me for a few days, sort mm. of feeling the effects of even just having a, having a few beers. So diet, you know, really try to look after my diet, really try and sleep well, you know, get up early and go and walk the dog. Just all of these bits that, you know, you sometimes, and I did in particular, when I was in it as a coach or obviously as a player, it's a bit different, but I wasn't doing enough of the stuff that is good for me and makes me feel good because one, you've not got the time and two, in such a full-on schedule, it's difficult to do all of these things, especially again, if you're living away from your friends and family because you've just not got the opportunity to you know, connect with family or friends because you're just not around. And did you ever... Um explore medication across your career or across the last number of years uh I, I, at one point i did uh when i left crystal palace uh i did but just just didn't really uh, yeah i probably didn't give it long enough but you know i just wanted to go down a different route yeah and i actually just just chucked them in the bin after a couple of weeks and i know for some listen for some they were tremendously well but for me personally I just didn't quite I actually didn't quite like the feeling Mm. of it almost felt like it was just numbing yeah you know sort of numbing my emotions and numbing you know my sensations and feelings I actually want to I sort of just want to work through it a little bit with you know alternative stuff that I do with with the therapy with you know, more exercise and all of those types of things and and helping others, by the way, that's been a key part of me finding a bit more enjoyment and purpose has actually been having a session with a player or, you know, some have been on Zoom, some in person, but the feeling of coming off some of these calls that I've had. Yeah. It is, it feels greater than a lot of the feelings that I've had in recent seasons winning a football match. I'll bet it so does, that, yeah. I'll bet it yeah, does. Yeah, so that 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 kind of says it all. But again, listen, so, somewhere down the line, I'm never going to close the door on never, ever stepping back into football. But I think for me to explore a lot of this other stuff, it's just impossible to do when you're in a, in a full-time coaching role. Did you ever pick Richie Sadler's brain about all this? Yeah, a few times. I've uh, met Richie a couple of times and... It's been obviously a lot of messages going backwards and forwards, me picking his brains about 
his qualifications and he's obviously read his book and the journey he's, he's on himself is is incredible. So he's one of my kind of first ports of call really. Right, and okay, yeah. It's when I was kind of deciding to do it. sort of step out of football and and go down the path that he's he's travelled himself. So I don't know if we want to put a five year plan on it. what's the um if Stephen Reed was to map out where he where he'd like this all to go in the medium to long term, how would you like to see yourself spending your time? I think I'm quite focused at the minute in getting fully qualified as a as a therapist, okay. as a counsellor. You know, I just want that under my belt to give me options sort of going forward. So it's kind of always there, whether it might be going straight into practice, it might be setting up my own practice um, as a counsellor. And, you know, at the moment I see it more with the sporting world, but not closing the door on, you know, different different industries. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of just want to crack on with that and and get that done, which gives you the option then to to kind of practice for the rest of your life. Because the level four, that's when it really does kind of get serious. When you've got your hundred hours, you've got to deliver to mm-hmm. as a counsellor in practice uh, in a placement and get thirty hours yourself uh, over two years, and it's a, obviously a weekly class as well. Um, so yeah, and in, in between that, I'm I'm just obviously cracking on with my the coaching, the individual coaching, and the odd presentation here and there that I'm doing. That I'm doing at the moment and still got a couple of little football bits that I'm involved in as well with with the Premier League and with the LMA so still got a little you know a little uh, taste of football still on a weekly basis um, but sort of my main focus is at the minute is to kind of just get just get more education and more qualifications to you know to aid my learning and, and ultimately to to make what I do an even even bigger service than what it is. Wow, amazing road to take. I mean, it'd be be, be interesting to know what uh, I don't know twenty years ago when you're just home from the World Cup. If you could see yourself now, would you <laughs> what what you would have made of it? How it all went, you know, it's amazing. Yeah, it was funny actually because I did have moments, not then, but even moments as a young player when I questioned it. I questioned the football world and you know, how long I was going to be in it. You know, I even had moments when I almost couldn't wait to get to the end. Right. As, as sad as that actually sounds from uh, quite a young age. But right. this is always something, actually, that I've always, always had half an eye on, even going back probably 15, 20 years. Okay. In getting involved in, in something like this, knowing knowing how important it's been for, been for me. Mm-hmm. Well, listen, not, not everyone gets to do a dream job twice, you know, uh, despite, uh, you know, the pressures of, of football, which I um, I can totally imagine as well. Geez, for a fellow who was finding it tough, you didn't have hang on at the end with your sore leg. I mean, bloody hell. I mean, you, you, oh, <laughs> you could have walked away about five years earlier. I know, I know. <laughs> but again, it's, that's when the priorities kind of kick in a little bit. And by that stage, got the two two young kids okay kind of, yeah it's like I guess I, to be blunt about it another year two three I mean it's life changing money and it changes 20, 30, 40 years time is the is it, exactly truth. yeah it, it, exactly so it was kind of just you know go on then another year let's grind out another year let's go again um, until and ultimately 
in a way that is to then give myself choices going forward yes because of i guess how hard i had to work at it and the years that i did have to grind out ultimately it's given me the choice in the summer to step away from it and and pursue something else because you know it's, it can be a different it's obviously a different situation if um you've got bills to pay yeah yeah the next day you know I, I in a way i got through a lot of that pain to give myself some choices it's more long term and, and going forward yeah no that makes sense so i presume then for a lot of your career when the injuries really set in yeah, certainly getting through the week was just about getting through the week and then it would have been rare enough you would have stepped onto a Premier League pitch thinking, I can't wait to really express myself here and have a good time here. It was a white knuckle ride kind of a thing. Oh, my God, yeah. I, I, you know, my last few years, I think we probably had on, I don't know whether you might have had Andy Reid on, I think Sean, maybe I didn't speak about it, or Keith Andrews on about my game-ready machine that travelled with me oh, yeah. around the world, which was that ice compression unit, which... I basically lived on that ba- that machine basically lived on my knee for five, six years. So I'd be the morning of Premier League games, icing my knee, trying to get the swelling off my knee, thinking how the hell am I going to get down the stairs into reception, let alone play against Gareth Bale or Hazard or maybe Duffer at the weekend. Mm. You know, it's sometimes it was that bad. Yeah. Um, maybe have to lift some heavy squats in the uh in the weights room before I went out onto the pitch just to flush the fluid off the knee. So I, I was kind of in survival mode for a good few years. There weren't many games that I was going into with the thinking process of have a real impact. I was going out there thinking just just do a job. Just do a job, mm. you know. Don't make a mistake. Don't get injured. And again, I think some of that had a weird way of actually helping me battle through it and get through the game. Mm. Um, so it was very rare that I'd be going into it like you just explained there, thinking, wow, let's let's go Premier League game. Let's get cracking and enjoy the ride. It was, let's just get through this. And hopefully that means getting a three points or, or at least one point. Mm. Well, listen, it's, it's, it's great to chat to you again. Anytime we have you on, it's always so interesting. And I guess the very best to look over the, the coming months and, and years. And, and we'll check in again, I'm sure, in due course. But Stephen Reid, absolute pleasure. And, and thanks for being so open as well. I'm sure the conversation no, will help a lot of people. Not at all. Thanks not again, all, Stephen. Thanks, Take care. Thanks, Cheers. Stephen Reid uh, with us there on the line. And our football show coverage and off the ball is brought to you by Sky. All the football you love in one place across Sky Sports, BT Sport and Premier Sports. We'll take a break. Football on Off The Ball with Sky. Proud partner and supporter of the Republic of Ireland women's national football team. This is News Talk.